Good morning. <laughs> you guys can sit down. Come on. Thank you, Paul. Um, so, good morning, Gulfside Church. And if we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Andrew Basic, just like Paul already told you guys, but I wanted to say it too. Um, and I'm very excited to be here with you guys today because the, the topic is something that's been uh, in my heart for quite, quite some time. And Paul mentioned that at one point we, when we started getting together early on, he told me that he saw this gift of communication and this gift of teaching in me. And he said, so I want to get you up on stage. I want to get you uh, just introducing or welcoming the congregation. I want to get you teaching. And I just kind of, I sat there and I was like, I don't really want to do that. Like, not, I, don't, I don't see that. And he said, well, you're going to do it anyway, so get used to it. <laughs> and so that, it's, it's been an incredible opportunity having Paul mentor me, and I'm so thankful for it and grateful for it. And to, to introduce myself a little bit further, I'm actually going to have some pictures come up on the big screen. This first picture, like, ah. Uh. <laughs> so this first picture is my wife. She is an incredible person. She is... Incredible, uh, such a loyal friend. She is incredibly passionate about the girls that she works with in the maternity home where she works. She is an incredible musician. She plays the keys and she has a beautiful voice. She is all around incredible. She is my best friend and I love to be able to call her my wife. And she is just drop dead gorgeous as you guys can already tell. So you can admire her for a second, except for you guys, you can't admire her because she's my wife. So stop it, stop that thought. But so that's my beautiful wife. The next picture that's going to come up, that is little Mufasa. He's a cute little guy. He, is, he lives up to the name because he fiercely fights his mean older sister all the time. Who, this is going to be the picture of her. This is Zazu. This is when, when she was just a little puppy, but she decided she wanted to try to drive. So I tried to take a picture that day, and so she's trying to drive my car. It's a stick shift, so it didn't work out too well. Um, so the next picture that's going to come up, that is our cat, Kovu, and his sister, Nala. And then I don't have a picture of our bunny rabbit, but his name is Simba. He's hopping around all the time too much. I can't get a clear picture of him because it's always just too blurry. So, and if you didn't catch on, all of our pets' names are from The Lion King. So if you've seen The Lion King, you already know all of our pets' names. So that's, that's just a little more of a picture into my life. So another picture is about to come up here on screen. And while it's coming up, I just want you to imagine something for me. Imagine that you had a long day at work, and you're going to go play basketball with some of your friends. And you're excited. You, you're stretched out. You're ready to throw down. And then this guy walks up, and he, he says, hey, yo, young bucks, can I, can I play with you? And I, for me, I, I think I would just, I wouldn't say anything, but I would just kneel down and like, man, come on, like, you, you're not qualified to be out here. Look at, look at us. We're athletic. You're not. You're, you might have been before, but you're past your prime. I don't want to take you to the ER after I break your ankles from crossing you up, or you take a jump shot and your hip dislocates. I don't have time to take you to the ER. I just want to play ball. But what we didn't realize is that the underneath of the makeup and the wig is really this guy. So for those of you who don't know, that's Kyrie Irving. He is an incredibly talented NBA basketball player who gets paid millions of dollars to make other professional athletes look dumb by falling on their butt. And he does it all the time, and it's a ton of fun to watch. But this, so he actually did a little video, uh, or a little YouTube video series on YouTube, and it's called Uncle Drew. If you want to laugh later, check it out, Uncle Drew. 
Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. So this guy, he, he comes up to these young bucks, and he calls them young bucks all the time. And they look at him and say, you're not qualified to play with us because, I mean, they didn't say that, but you could tell that they were thinking it. And so he, he starts off slow, but then he starts crossing them up, and it's hilarious. And then he does this in the video. He's, so this guy, he, he was hobbling around. Then he starts dunking on him, and it's just hilarious to see. But all that to say, you can't look at someone and determine whether they're qualified or not. You can't judge someone's qualification based off of what you see on the outside. In the same way, you can't look at yourself and disqualify yourself because of what you see on the outside when Christ has taken residency in your heart. When you've been saved and Jesus is transforming your heart, you can't judge yourself, you can't determine your qualification based off of what you saw in the past and what you see on the outside. God uses broken people all the time in Scripture to achieve great things. And we're going to check out one of those stories where that happened today in Scripture. So if you want, if you brought your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 4, and I just want to give you guys a little bit of context before we actually dive into the Scripture. So the two guys that we're mainly following throughout this Scripture are Peter and John. Peter and John are two uh, disciples that were walking very closely with Jesus. Peter was probably the closest one, and John, he referred to himself as the beloved disciple, and he, he is very full of himself when he writes. It's, it's funny, to, funny to read. But So these are the two guys that we're following today. And so the, the story with them is they're going around after Jesus was crucified, rose again from the grave. They're going around performing miracles. They're healing cripples. They're healing people who have been sick for years and years. And the religious rulers, the Pharisees, they get mad. They get upset, and they actually arrest them and they bring them into like a courtroom setting where they're standing in front of the high priest, the guy who used to be the high priest for 11 years, a guy who is incredibly wealthy and he's a religious ruler, and a guy who is a famous religious ruler. So I'd imagine that as me just standing in like a courtroom full of judges and, and lawyers who are all looking at me saying that I did something wrong, I would be terrified. And that's kind of what I imagine they felt like when this was going on. So... Uh, they accuse, the, they want to know, like, where, what, how are they performing these miracles? What power are they performing them through? And Peter opens his big mouth like he does very frequently, and he tells them exactly where. It's, it's through Jesus Christ. And that's where we pick it up. It's going to come up on the screen, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. And it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The first point I want to make out of that is their boldness was in the foundation of Jesus' promise to them. So we see our, our culture and our society make some bold statements in some pretty strange ways. So I'm going to have you guys participate with me when I ask the question, who is the best college football team in the nation? Who is it? Give me your answers. Who do you think it is? Michigan. Ohio State. I haven't heard the answer yet. So, uh, there it is. Clemson, all day. Because, one, look at their record. Two, I have a buddy who used to play for them, so I'm a little bit biased. And three, I'm up here on stage, you're not, so whatever I says goes. So, Clemson is the number one team. And so, we can make, we can make bold statements in a few different ways. We can make bold statements based off of things that we think. We can make bold statements based off of what we, what we think, 
what we think, what we hope for, and boldness based off of what we have seen. So, you know, if, if a Miami Dolphins fan comes up to you today and they say, you know, when we face the Patriots again later this season, we're going to take them down. And I would look at it and be like, man, that's a pretty bold statement because the chances of that happening are pretty much nil. And that, like, it's just not going to happen, which makes it a bold statement because like the, the possibilities of it happening are, are none. So that's what they think and what they hope for. Um, but Peter and John, they didn't have boldness in what they thought or what they hoped for. They had boldness based off of what they knew. They had boldness because they saw what Jesus went through and they saw that he came through in his promises. They saw all, the, all these different things that led them to believe that we can trust this guy. Whatever he says is true. So thinking about it, this is the same Peter that before Jesus was crucified, he was afraid of a little girl who said, hey, weren't you one of those guys that was with Jesus? And he said no, and he turned and ran away, and he was, he was afraid of this little girl. Who, what can she do to him? Just point her finger and say, hey, look, he was a disciple. Like, what can she do to him? But something shifted in Peter, because once he's afraid, he's afraid of this little girl before Jesus was crucified, but after he was crucified and rose again from the grave, now he's standing in front of religious rulers and Pharisees who were part of the people who put Jesus to death. So this is still very fresh in Peter's mind. He knows what the consequences of being bold in this setting might do. He knows that he could be put to death like Jesus was, but it didn't matter because he, he knew that he could trust in what Jesus said. So they were, Peter and John, they were also there when Jesus was making a promise to his disciples. And what Jesus told them was basically like, hey, once I'm gone, people are going to persecute you, they're going to arrest you, and they're, they're going to try to, uh, <clears throat> they're, they're not going to be nice to you pretty much. And, but when they do that, you don't have to be afraid because I'm going to be with you the entire time. And obviously that's a paraphrase, so I'm going to read the, put the scripture up there for you guys. And it's Matthew chapter 10, verse 19 to 20. And it says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you, what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So Peter and John, their boldness was rooted in what they saw from Jesus and the promises that Jesus gave to them. And they knew that they could trust him. So because of all these things, they were willing to walk through whatever was going to be thrown at them as long as they were walking through what God was leading them into. So we have to ask ourselves, what, what is our expectation of walking with Jesus? Is it okay if things get hard from now, from now and then? It's, it's completely normal for things to be difficult. Oftentimes when, we, when Jesus calls us to take small steps of obedience, there's risk involved. There's risk of me looking humiliated if Jesus doesn't show up the way he said he was going to. There's risk of me just looking stupid and what if God doesn't follow through? But I, I need to take those steps of obedience. And when I take those steps of obedience, I see him come through again and again and again, which increases my boldness. And it gets me to the point where I've, I have all this experience in my life and I've seen God do this and I've seen God do these things in other people's lives and now I know that God can cure cancer. I've seen him cure cancer. I've seen him heal depression and I've seen him heal marriages that were falling apart. 
on top of everything else that I've seen him do in other people's lives. So I, when God calls me to take small steps of obedience, I can 100% trust that he's going to lead me through whatever he's calling me to do, and he's going to follow through in his promises. We want our faith, we want, our, we want to be bold in our faith, not because of what we hope for or think, but because of what God has done. And that's the point of a mature faith. I have seen God do this before, and that makes me bold, and that makes me trust that he's going to do it again. And you don't have to be some special, above-average person to say that I have seen God do this. Which brings me right back into the passage. Acts 4, 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Did you catch that middle part where it said they were uneducated common men? Like I said before, you don't have to be some special above average person to say that I've seen this happen before. So the the second thing, the second point that's going to come up on the screen is Peter and John, they were common men, just like you and me. They were just common people. Before they knew Jesus, before they became his disciples, they were just fishermen. Like they would go out, cast their nets, and then catch the fish bring them back, clean their nets, and that's what they did. They were common, ordinary people until they met Jesus and until they were transformed by Jesus and until their faith was, until their boldness was increased because of what they had seen Jesus do. And that's what made these Jewish and religious people angry. They, they, the expectation was if someone was going to be performing miracles, if someone was going to be healing the cripple, someone was going to be healing the person who's been sick for their entire life, It was going to be one of the elite religious officials. It wasn't going to be one of these common men. But that's not how God works. And we see that happen time and time again in Scripture, that God works works through the common people. And a lot of us have heard the saying that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. There's a few different times in Scripture where we see that happen. And I want to focus on one point in the Old Testament where God raised up an unqualified warrior. And we see that happen in David and Goliath. So David, we all know how this story goes. So David, he is the absolute least qualified person to go up and fight Goliath. The least qualified. He's just a young kid. He's a shepherd. He should be back home with the sheep, but he was just going to deliver some supplies to his brothers. But he, so he is the least qualified person. He didn't have the training that all these thousands of Israelite soldiers had. He didn't go to boot camp. And even if he did go to boot camp, the boots wouldn't fit because he was too small. He was too young. He didn't have the right equipment to fight Goliath. He didn't, he didn't have the right, right weapons, the right armor. But he, he was in that position, and he knew exactly what God was calling him to do in that situation. It fell outside of David's ability But David knew that it was now his responsibility to fight Goliath and to take him down because of uh, what God was speaking to him. Before David actually goes out and fights Goliath, he goes before Saul, who was the king of Israel at the time. And the king of Israel is talking him down, saying like, no, no, you, you can't do that. You're too young. You don't have the right stuff. Like, you're not fit to fight Goliath. But David wasn't listening to, to, to King Saul. He wasn't the highest authority that David was listening to at the time. The highest authority that David was listening to was God. 
and he knew exactly what God wanted him to do. He, he knew that he was calling him to take down Goliath. And what David actually said to Saul was, just like, just like my God has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he's going to deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And he goes out, and we all know the end of the story. David wins. Little guy takes down big guy. And it was just a, this incredible story where David was incredibly bold. So going back to Peter and John, Peter and John were ordinary, common fishermen. And the Jews try to stick these labels on them that they were not qualified to do what they were trying to do. So we have these label makers. We, some of us have these things at home, and it's great for church plants when you're labeling uh, music equipment. It's great for labeling things around the home. But how often do we let falsely label ourselves or do we let people falsely label us? When Paul asked me to do this, when he asked me to come up and speak on stage, I was like, no, I'm not qualified to do that. I don't have a biblical studies degree. Like what makes me qualified to get up and speak in front of a congregation? But this is where God's leading me and this is what I know God's calling me to do. So when I think I'm unqualified, God says, nope, you're called. We let people tell us that we are too young to do what we're trying to do. We let people tell us that we're too old. We tell ourselves that we're too old. We tell ourselves, have you seen my past? It's too broken. We say, I've tried this before, and I failed before. What's going to stop that from happening again? We love to let our circumstances determine our qualification. But one thing I think we frequently forget about is that God chooses us ahead of time knowing that we have all of these broken pieces and all of this brokenness, and he knows about our past, and he still calls us to do what he's calling us to do anyway. And that's the point of having a relationship with God. He fills in those broken pieces, and that puts his glory on display. So accurate labels that we need to listen to from God when, when other people are falsely trying to label us and when we're trying to falsely label ourselves. It's basically the opposite of what I just said earlier. When people say that you're unqualified to do it, God says, no, nope, you're called. When people say you're too young, God says, no, nope, you're prepared. When people say you're too old, God says, no, you're fruitful. Broken, healed. Failure, you're victorious. If they say, I'm only a dot, 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 fill in the blank, God says, you're only a child of the most high God who's calling you to do whatever he's calling you to do. <clears throat> the story of David and Goliath is just one instance of God's glory being on display through an unqualified warrior. We see many more examples of this in Hebrews 11. I'm not going to go into all of them because I don't have time to. But if you want to read Hebrews 11 later, it's an incredible place to go if you want uh, to see what, what God can do. It's a list of common people who did incredible things by faith. So continuing on in the passage, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It's not going to come up this time. I don't know why I pointed. Um, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they had recognized that they had been with Jesus. So the third point that I want to make 
is that Peter and John had been with Jesus, and in turn, they were transformed by Jesus. The people you put yourself around are going to transform you, whether that's for the better or for the worse. If you surround yourself with Jesus, then you're going to look more and more like him every day. If if you surround yourself with community at church, you're going to end up looking more like Jesus every day because you're surrounding yourself with people who are also chasing after God. I have the pleasure of, of having a friend in Virginia who has this awesome story, and he he said that I could share it with you guys. Um, <clears throat> and if, if you guys want the entire story, find me afterwards. I'll give you the YouTube link so you can see it. But my friend Jeremy Ford said I can use his story. So some things just end up the way you would expect them to. What would you expect to happen when a story starts with the child's father being killed in an airplane crash while he was smuggling drugs across the Mexico-Arizona border before he was born, four days before he was born. When he had his first joint when he was eight years old. When he was exposed to physical alcohol and drug abuse from several different stepfathers before he was 11 years old. When his mother abandoned him at the age of 14. When at the age of 16, he started using meth, which quickly turned into a downward spiral of doing whatever he had to do to pay for his habit. Whatever crime he had to commit to make money to pay for his habit, he did it. He landed in prison for the first time when he was 19 years old. And while he was in prison, he didn't see it as, this is a time for me to figure out my life. He saw it as a time of, oh man, this is a perfect time for me to hone my skills as a criminal. And this is a perfect time to improve on those things. And while he was at it, he persecuted Christians the entire way because he thought that God had abandoned him at a young age, and he just forgot about him. Two and a half years later, he got out of prison. But if anything, it was worse for him because he started committing worse crimes, doing worse things to, again, pay for, uh, to get money to pay for his addiction which brought him to a home robbery where he tried to rob a drug dealer. The end result was he got shot twice, once in the hip, once in the kidney, sent to the hospital as soon as he could walk back to prison. This time he faced a more hefty sentence of 40 years in prison. Shortly after he was in prison, they reduced it to a 10-year deal because he signed a plea deal. And then after that, he, he joined a gang that was there, and which gave him access to drugs. And he was, again, just doing whatever he had to do to fill his, his addiction. He was, he was persecuting Christians all along the way. One day he woke up. There was no more heroin. And he basically said that he was dope sick and decided that, man, like, what am I doing to myself? This is terrible. I feel awful. And he made the commitment that he was no longer going to do drugs, but he still describes himself as the same unforgiving jerk as before. (laughs) Almost a decade later, he got out of prison, and he got in touch with a friend who he actually used to do drugs with, a lady who he used to do drugs with, but this lady had come to know Jesus while he was in prison in the time that they had seen each other. So they started talking and communicating with each other, 
And Jeremy didn't know it at the time, but because he was communicating with this person and hearing the testimony of this person, he was spending time with Jesus, and Jesus began to perform a work in his heart. He moved to Virginia to be closer to this person, and shortly after that, they started going to church together. So Jeremy started surrounding himself with the church, surrounding himself with godly people, which shortly turned into now he's being saved, now he's being baptized, and he's taking these awesome steps forward. It turned into him going to a small group, and after going to small group for a little while, the, the pastor who was leading the small group said, you know, this is, we're at a time where we need to branch. We need to start, like we need to go start a new group. Who's going to take over? Who's going to take over uh, this small group for us? And so Jeremy said his hand started to raise, but then he quickly looked and smacked it down because he was like, no one wants to hear from you. Like you're, you're broken. You're unqualified to lead this small group. You don't have, like no one wants to hear your story. So he did what everyone else would do. He started studying scripture, which is a great thing to do. But then he, he did something that I think a lot of us would do if we wanted to lead a small group. He decided he wanted to get a biblical studies degree um, so to make him qualified to lead a small group. He's a little bit of an overachiever in that aspect. <laughs> but what Jeremy didn't realize at the time was that God didn't have him going to uh, school for a biblical studies degree so he could lead a small group. God had bigger things in mind. So, and now it got to the point where there's another picture that's going to come up. I forgot about his prison pictures, but that's fine. Um, so that's his, that's his prison picture, if you were curious. And then there's another picture that's going to come up. That was Jeremy before. This is Jeremy now. Now he's a pastor of a church that I actually attended in Virginia. He's a pastor of one of the satellite campuses, and he is doing incredible, incredible works, incredible things in God's name. And he has this incredible story. Jeremy was a common, ordinary criminal, and we know how that story typically ends. But he spent time with Jesus, and because he spent time with Jesus, Jesus transformed his heart, and now he's leading other people to Christ. Come on. We can't change by ourselves. Real change happens when we let Jesus take residency in our hearts, and we begin to take these small steps of obedience that God calls us to take. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this very thing, that who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what we saw happen in Jeremy's story. But how can we hear this story and think that the same grace doesn't apply to us? We look at, we see this story and it's like, oh, he was really broken. I'm just a little bit broken. So God's not going to do something like that in my life. God's grace is God's grace, and he's, he wants to forgive all of us for what we've done in our past. And regardless of what we see in our past, God can use us for great things. He can use us for his glory. We can't disqualify ourselves because of what our past looks like. God started the work in our lives, and God will see it into completion as long as we continue to take these small, obedient steps. I'm going to have the band come back up and help me wrap this thing up. And as they come up, I have a little bit more to talk about Jeremy. You guys thought I was done with Jeremy. I'm not done with Jeremy yet. <laughs> so Jeremy is back in prison again. 
But this time, it's not because he did something wrong. It's because he's bringing the gospel to prisoners who would not have heard the gospel otherwise. And because of his past, because of his history, now he is more qualified than the typical pastor to reach these, people lives, these people's lives because they see his story and his testimony. And they say, man, like that, all that happened? Like, man, who is this Jesus? I need to know this guy. Come on. So that J- Jeremy is making a huge impact where God keeps using him. But most of you, I don't know, but I don't, most of you I don't think are drug dealers <laughs> or someone who has spent nearly a decade in prison. So what does this look like for the rest of us? A small step of obedience that, that God called myself and my wife to take was taking a step into foster care. And that, that was a huge, oh, yes, come on, praise Jesus. That was a huge, scary step. Because I've seen other foster families, and I've seen the kids that they deal with. I've seen the baggage that these kids bring into the homes, and I've seen how crazy it can make a house. And I was like, man, I don't even have my own kids yet. How am I supposed to provide a safe place for these kids that have all this baggage that they're bringing in with them? Like, I am unqualified to do this. But God kept putting it on our hearts and putting it on our hearts to the point where we said, I mean, let's do it. Let's get in it. So we started taking foster care classes. And they gave us this dang book that was like, no joke, an inch and a half thick. This thing is massive. And it's full of forms that you have to sign. And it's full of uh, bad scenarios that they say, oh, well, while you're in it, get, expect this to happen. This, this other thing's going to happen. You're going to have to deal with this, that, and the other thing. And it's full of, th- it's like, and they show videos to you of kids destroying your property, of kids ripping apart your gardens. And it's like, man, are you trying to scare people away from this? Like, what, what is this? I'm not qualified to handle a kid like that. But we kept taking steps forward and steps forward to the point where now we're licensed and now we have two young boys that are in our home. And when they first came into our house, they were scared, they were confused, they had no idea what the heck was going on. And I had the older one just kind of walked around like, just like looking at everything, like, man, what, where am I? Like, I don't, I don't understand this. And going, bringing him into daycare, he didn't know us, he didn't trust us at the time because, I mean, we're strangers to him. So we would take him into daycare, holding his hand, and all of a sudden he would just say no. And then shortly after, he would fall on the ground, his arm would go jello, and so we would have to pick, we can't yank him up by his arm, so we have to pick him up nice and easy. And it's like, all right, let's keep taking steps, keep taking, and then he would throw himself on the ground again. And it's like, man, kid, come on. Like, just come in with me. And, but he was scared, he didn't know what was going on. But we continued to pour in love. We continued to pray for this kid. We continued to just be Jesus to him in whatever way we could. And then slowly it seemed like this shift started to happen where I was walking him into daycare one day waiting for the waiting for the jello flop to happen. But rather than that happening, he's hopping around, he's excited, he's making ooh, he's making faces and he points at a car and he says, "Green!" green. It's like, no, buddy, that's black, but I'm so happy that you're excited. The color doesn't matter. We'll learn that later. But now, so we've seen this shift happen where now, before when he was scared and he didn't realize where we were bringing him, now he's excited. 
and he's excited to go places with us. And when, when we see him for the first time after a few hours, he always gets this super excited look, especially when he sees my wife, Acacia. He, he looks at her and he goes, oh, and he runs over to her and gives her the biggest hug that you could imagine. So all this stuff happened when we started pouring the love of Jesus into his, into his life. And he understands now that we love him and that our home is a safe place for him. And the same thing with his little brother. He, he, would, he would cry when he would see us at first, but now when he sees us, he has this huge smile and his face just glows. He used to be whiny, but he's not as whiny anymore. <laughs> and I know that the foundation of love that we're setting in his life, the love that we pour into him, it's going to create this foundation that he's going to take on with him for the rest of his life. And it's just going to continue to build and build on that. And we pray that one day he comes to know Jesus. Come on. The change starts by being with Jesus. And then he takes common people and does extraordinary works. So I want to ask you guys, is there something that God's calling you to do? Something that he's pushing you to do, but either someone else or yourself, you keep putting the label on yourself that... I'm unqualified. When you hear that, I want you to hear, when you think you're unqualified, I want you to hear God say, no, you're called. I'm calling you into this. When someone says, no, you're too broken to do these things, I want you to hear God say, no, you're healed through me. When, when When you tell yourself, I failed at this time and time again, I want you guys to hear God tell you that, no, you're gonna be victorious this time because I'm backing it up. We see in Acts 14, or Acts 4.13 that it says that Peter and John, they were just common, ordinary men. But because they had spent time with Jesus and they had poured their lives into him, that's when they begin to see the boldness that they had. And that's when they begin to take bigger and bigger steps. So whatever you're going through, just pour yourself into Jesus. And by spending time with him, he's going to change your lives. I want to pray for you guys as some of you guys decide that we're going to take these steps forward. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you for the promises that that you're not going to leave us or forsake us. And God, if you're calling us into a situation, you're going to bless it. And you're going to see the work done. You're going to see the work through until it's finished. God, I thank you for that promise and I thank you for being such a loving Heavenly Father who we can turn to with anything. God, I pray for boldness for everyone in the congregation, everyone who's going to be listening to this message. I pray for boldness that we can take these small steps that you're taking us, that you're calling us to take, these small steps of obedience. And I pray as we see you come through with these small steps of of obedience. I pray that it increases our boldness so that we're able to do great things through your name, for your glory, God. We love you, and I praise your perfect holy name. Amen.